Some of you have experienced the riptide, right, where you're, you're out there and you're swimming and all of a sudden you're being pulled out to sea. Uh, they can be quite dangerous. Now, see, there it is. So the whole thing is break the grip of the rip, right? So if you're caught in the riptide, you got to break the grip of the rip. You got to get out of it. You can't swim against it or you'll just tire yourself out. You got to get out of it or kind of let it take you a little bit. Or they say swim sideways to shore. Uh, a few years ago, we were down in Southern California with our son, and we were having fun boogie boarding and, and, and trying to catch those waves, right? So we saw this spot. We said, that's, oh, look at those waves. And nobody's there. Um, let's go down there. So we go down to that area, and we're walking out. And this lifeguard, you know, comes running down with the bullhorn. No, come out of there. And, of course, I'm annoyed at first. Like, look at those waves. They look great. Um, then he shared why. We should, he says, there's a rip current right there, and it's going to pull you straight out. And so I was grateful, right? I mean, I switched from being kind of selfish and, and then grateful because of that warning. Well, today we're going to talk about this warning of rip currents, spiritual rip currents, right? Spiritual rip tides that can grab us and pull us out and, and slowly at first. Uh, we had another time years ago when the kids were smaller and they were trying to use these. Um, and we're sitting there on the beach, right? And they're doing their thing. And all of a sudden they're, you know, 30 yards down the beach. We go down there, grab them, right? Pull them back, walk back up. All right, this time start up that way because they just kind of drift. Well, spiritually, there is a tendency to drift, right? To drift away from God's direction, to, to drift away from God's word. We have this tendency, this pull, because we have sin in our lives, right? And the devil is real, and this world is against God, to, to kind of pull us and, and, and drift away from God. Again, often it's slowly at first. So grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Now, if you don't have a Bible or you forgot it, um, there's one in the seat in front of you in the cage. Grab that. If you don't own a Bible, that one is yours, or if you can't find yours, like it's on the shelf somewhere in Dusty, take this one uh, so you don't have to look for it. But page number 1,103, 1,103, and what we're going to look at today in, in just a handful of verses is this idea of spiritual drift, and as I was preparing and thinking of this, there's so many examples I've seen in my own life of, of this, right? Somebody may be wounded by church or, or by Christians, and so they... I don't want to hang out with Christians, those, you know, and they kind of drift. And at the same time, maybe, you know, going away from God's word or often here's how, how especially younger, but even older, a relationship, right? I want to go God's way, but ooh, here's this person who they don't love Jesus or maybe they say they do, you know, or, and they start pulling and there's this drift towards something that looks good. I kind of like this. I know it's not God's way, but I'm going to, you know, right, dabble in sin maybe or whatever it is where we drift and, and then before long we find ourselves far from God. And maybe you've experienced this in your own life. Maybe you've seen this in, in those that you love or care about where they were going good and then all of a sudden it, it seems like they were far away. But if you trace it back, it started slow at first. Today is a warning. So we're in the book of Hebrews. This is our second week in the book of Hebrews. Awesome book. Uh, the book, we don't know who the author is. I think it's Paul. Smarter people disagree with me. We don't really know. Um, but the author is writing clearly to Jewish Christians. Um, and these Jewish Christians are having a hard time go of it, right? Uh, they're, they're in a world that's kind of against them, right? The, the Romans are, are against them. Uh, the Jews are against them. Everybody's kind of against them. And so the, the easiest thing for them to do would be, we're just going to go back to Judaism because that was a religion that was accepted in the culture, right? It was given permission by Rome to exist for a while longer. Um, and so they were tempted to just 
we're going to go back to what's easy, go back to what we know. And so a great theme of the book is don't do that, <laughs> right? Stay the course. So the whole book, one word, the book's about perseverance. Make it to the end. Make it persevere in Christ. And in the book, if we were going to create kind of like an outline, I would do it around there's five warnings in the book. And these warnings are, are kind of flags put up, and this is the first one, right? It's a warning, a watch out. Now, if this is your first time here, or you haven't been here in a while, this is one of those kind of harder warnings, I'll be honest. This is, sometimes the gospel is, is, is beautiful and inviting. Well, it's always beautiful and inviting. But where Jesus gives the invitation, right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Beautiful invitation. There's other times where we get the other side of the coin. Now watch out, right? Be careful, because there's punishment. Be careful, like the one side is awesome, but the other side, it's, it's not good news to the non-believer. It's great news to believer. Uh, here's a horrible picture I had of, of this warning. Imagine you're like in your front yard playing with the basketball and your three-year-old starts running toward the busy street. What's the loving thing to do? Throw the basketball at him and right, knock him out so he doesn't go into the street. That's kind of this passage, right? A little bit of a, you know, throw this at you, warning, it's a lot worse if you go that way. So we're going to hit you a little bit with this. So we're going to hit you in love. Um, and next week is going to be a lot nicer. So <laughs> with that in mind, we're going to look at verse or chapter two. Uh, last or two weeks ago, we started in chapter one and we kind of summed up the idea of chapter one in this. Our creator God or your creator God came on a rescue mission to save you. I mean, there's a lot in there, but, but we kind of boiled it down to that. Our creator God took on flesh, Jesus Christ, came on a rescue mission to save you. Deep, beautiful, wonderful. And now the first warning, chapter two, verse one. Therefore, we must pay closer to attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? If we neglect such a great salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So right here, right? Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, what's it there for? It's referring back to what he said in chapter one. And chapter one was largely Jesus is better than angels. Right? There's so much in chapter 1. Uh, the book of Hebrews quotes a lot from the Old Testament. And here there were a lot of quotations pointing to the coming Messiah, right? the Son of God, Jesus, who would be better than the angels. And here we have a warning. Here's the warning. Do not neglect or drift away from Jesus and his message of salvation. That's the warning. That's the warning. So kind of bear that in mind as we look through the rest of these four verses. But that's his main point. Do not neglect this salvation, right? Do not drift away. Watch out, watch out, watch out. That's the warning. Now, the first word uh, that he uses there in this warning is drift. Uh, that's in verse one, chapter two, verse one. It says, be, be careful that we do not drift. That's kind of a, an interesting word. I mean, it literally means drift. That's a good translation. But it means to go in the wrong direction, but just a little bit right? Like just a, a one or two degree off. I, I mean, imagine like baseball, right? If you're just a couple degrees off, it's, it's a ball, not a strike. Um, I, I was kind of looking this up. What's a good example? And a perfect one is 1979. 
there's an airplane left from New Zealand to go to the Antarctic. The whole, it was just a, a sightseeing expedition. They're going to hop up and fly around and, and check it out. Well, these pilots were off by two degrees, just two degrees, and they ended up being 28 miles from where they wanted to be. Well, 28 miles away was a volcano that wasn't supposed to be there, right? And they ran right into the side. 275 people died um, in that crash, all because of a slight miscalculation. Again, two degrees is all it was, and they hit the side of a mountain. That's a really good example for, for Christians, for believers, for those in the church. If you're off just a little bit, it can be destructive. It can be very, very disastrous. And really, this, this has a, the idea of drift here. It's a nautical phrase. So, it, you know, they didn't have airplanes back then, but that works. But, but you know, drift, like a, like a boat, right? Sailing or rowing and just a little bit off. I mean, imagine going in our great ocean and being just a little bit off. And how do you get off? One, by rowing slightly in the wrong direction or by, by not rowing at all, right? That's another way to do it. So this is in your notes. A person drifts when they slowly move away from God or stop moving toward God. That second one for me, I, I think, was really helpful as I was kind of wrestling through this. It's true. If we, if we cease to pursue Christ, we don't just stand still spiritually, we drift away from God. I mean, it's kind of like being on this boogie board out there in the rip current. Like if you just, pretty much anywhere, you're not gonna stay still. You're gonna go somewhere. It's gonna pull you down. It's gonna pull you out, but you're not gonna stay on course. And there are so many voices out there wanting to grab us and cause us to drift. We uh, talked about this two weeks ago as we began the book, but in Hebrews, we're gonna have to bear in mind the idea of salvation through the whole thing. And so real quick, salvation, not just eternal life, that's one part. That's called justification, right? The initial point of salvation is justification where we're made right with God because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Done, right? By, by grace, you have been saved through faith, not by works, right? Nothing else. That's justification. But then the second aspect of salvation or being saved is sanctification, this is the process by which we become more like Christ, where we grow, where we move forward, right? Where we row forward. And, and this one is in partnership. It's God with us working together to change us and make us like him. We participate in this. Guess what? God has given us free will. We can choose not to participate. We can row in the wrong direction or we can stop rowing at all and we end up drifting away. Now, the third part of that uh, salvation is glorification. That's in the future. When Christ comes back, we receive new bodies, new heaven, new earth. By the way, eternity is physical on a physical existence. Um, probably animals. We're going to definitely eat. We're going to know each other. It's going to be great. That's glorification. So that's later. Salvation. When we say salvation, it includes all three. And, and sometimes when he says, pay attention to this salvation, he's not just saying, remember, you're justified. He said, remember, right now, you're in partnership with the living God who wants to do something in you. Be part of it. That's what this warning is. Do not drift, right? Do not even just stop rowing. We will either sail forward or drift backward with Christ. There is no standing still. There is no standing still, right? And again, I, I like the picture of riptide. You know, it can be slight at first. And there's these voices out there trying to pull us. Uh, I was looking up riptides just last month uh, because of the hurricanes down in Florida. Up in the Northeast, there were huge riptides. Uh, several people died in them. Many others had to be rescued because they you know, didn't know they were there. All of a sudden, they're, they're out. W what about us? What are those voices? Is it a relationship? Somebody who's just like, right? Just a little bit, ooh, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not sure your God is real, you know, whatever it is, or the ideas of this world, which sound really good, right? All religions lead to heaven. Let Just accept everything. That sounds really good and loving, but it's not true, right? It's not true. Or, or, you know, people can choose who they want to be. Just accept that. There is no real definite morality. Some of those things sound good, and we start to listen, and, and we start to drift in the wrong direction. Again, we either sail forward or we drift backward with Christ. There is no standing still. And here's the warning I want us to get. It's often subtle at first. You may, you may have seen this picture here, right, and realize I'm actually in the riptide. I've been there a while, and I know it. Here's the problem. Most people in there probably aren't here with us this morning, <laughs> meaning you might need to share this message with them. You might need to bring this to them. But it, it, it again, can be subtle at first. Uh, the picture is of a, a frog. Maybe you've heard this. You take a frog, you throw the frog in boiling water, hops out. You put the frog in cold water and slowly heat it up. It'll just sit there till it's dead. Um, when I was in junior high, high school, our youth pastor used that illustration uh, for, you know, the warning of watch out physically in your dating relationships. It's like boiling a frog, you know, slowly. You're holding hands at first, then it goes a little further, then a little, and then pretty soon you're crossing lines that you had set, you know, and going past. And so, of course, we use that illustration all the time. We'd be sitting in church when the pastor was boring, and one of us would just, like, put a pinky on the other one. And then we put two pinkies until they notice, like, stop boiling my frog, right? <laughs> but, but that's, you know, the goal is, like, to do it slight so they don't notice. And then if you could get, like, your whole hand on their knee, and it's like, oh, crap, right? Again, it's a good illustration because it stuck with me all these years. But that's what we, we allow something little, right? Right? A, a little sin, mm, not a big deal. Or whatever it is, a little belief that we know it's not right, but we're going to mess with it. A little drift, and then pretty soon we'd, we could be far away from God. And how does it normally start? Well, we can look at entire denominations today that used to be what I would say in the family of God that aren't. And that sounds harsh, but, but it's true. There are entire denominations, uh, Presbyterian and Methodist are two of them, that the main line no longer are part of the church as God would explain it. Now, there are many Methodists and Presbyterians who are in the church and churches who have gone away from that. Uh, the Presbyterian church here in town is one of those. They broke from that denomination because they wanted to stay true. That is a true church. But the denominations as a whole have drifted, and here's how it started. On almost every single one, they drifted from the word. So uh, because science in, in uh, the 1800s, right, we, there was Darwin and all this stuff. Ooh, science, 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 which many of that has been proven false anyway. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, naturalism is true. The, the greatest truth is natural law, not this stuff, right? So we need to deny miracles. That's how it started, right? Science. And so what God says or what the Bible says about creation can't be true right? Because there's evolution. We have proof of evolution and all this stuff, whatever it is. Um, and so, ooh, so that can't be true. Ooh, we drift away. Well, if there can't be miracles, then, then somebody can't rise from the dead. So Jesus didn't rise from the dead, right? That was just a spiritual, you know, analogy to share a truth, right? And this drift and drift. And then pretty soon, uh, who cares, <laughs> right? God didn't send his son in flesh. Uh, there is no sin. So why would Jesus die? Uh, this calls for repentance. What's the point of that? You're telling somebody they're wrong. And pretty soon you're denying the core truths of scripture and you're far from God. And then it goes from there. But that's how it starts, right? And uh, Dave, our, our youth pastor class, reminded me this week, that's actually how it started in the beginning, right? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve and Satan, right? Eve, did God really say? 
right? That was the first temptation. Did God really say, challenging God's word. Did God really say to not eat of the fruit? Did he really, right? And by the way, it's okay for us to ask that question. Did God really say, if we go and find the truth? If we use it as an excuse to sin, wrong. But if someone did God really say, then we go, I don't know, let's see. We grab the Bible, we look, did God really? If yes, we go with what God says. So again, that's that first challenge. And the first warning of, of drift. Here's the second warning though. Neglect, this is, is uh, the beginning of verse three. How shall we escape if we neglect? That's a different word. Uh, neglect has the idea of ignore or being apathetic. So the person who neglects our great salvation is one who views it with apathy or willful ignorance. Apathy or willful, willful ignorance. It's, it's the one who, I'm a Christian, but it's not a big deal, right? I believe in God, but I'm not sure the details, or I'm not gonna put the energy into to finding the details. Um, this one, I, I would say it boils down to a lack of commitment and responsibility. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, by what Jesus did. But guess what? That doesn't mean our responsibility for life goes down. It, it kind of goes up. Again, not our responsibility for salvation, meaning justification, but our responsibility to, to learn, right? To, to walk in holiness. He says, be holy as I am holy, be perfect, which, you know, he doesn't mean be, we're not gonna be perfect in this life. Theoretically, it's possible if we abide right, but his point is not, you know, expectation to be perfect or you're, you're shot down, but we have a responsibility to grow, to serve. And so this person who neglects our great salvation is one who views it with apathy or willful ignorance. And I say willful ignorance because I've known those people who, oh, I'm a Christian. And then you start to dig in. They know nothing about what they believe or, or what the Bible would say. Would, have you ever read the Bible? Well, no, but I'm a Christian. How are you a Christian then? What, what, what does it mean to be saved? Well, I'm American. My, my parents went to church. Honestly, those are some of the, I'm a good person. You know, that's, I'm more good than bad. Again, this idea here of, of neglect is not taking it seriously. And I think many of us can be in danger of this just with our busy lives, right? Uh, we got work, we've got sports, wh whatever it is, these things that eventually become more important than God in our lives and, and we kind of apathetic. You know, when I was a kid, it was the word Jesus freak. Oh, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't wanna be a Jesus freak. Uh, you know, every Sunday morning, I spend time going through my sermon and praying. And the thing that, Oddly, I think the Holy Spirit was, was leading me to is, okay, if we as Christians aren't Jesus freaks, well, Jesus is a Derek freak or a you freak. Here's my point. God, our creator God, we see in, in chapter one of Hebrews, our creator God who revealed himself in Jesus, created all things at the beginning. And when he created, he had you in mind. Right? When Jesus spoke and created, Scripture makes very clear, he had every believer in mind. He was thinking of, he was thinking of me. I would put, he was thinking of me when he was created. Whoa. And then he loved me so much, he, he, he took on flesh. Jesus was not human for eternity. Jesus is eternal, and he is the second member of the Trinity. Try and wrap your mind around that. But Jesus is eternal, but in a moment of time, he took on flesh. And by the way, he didn't come in the 21st century where there's uh, really comfy beds um, and, and really good medicine, all this. He came in the first century, right? He, he came poor. Uh, he, he came into a blue-collar family. His dad, stepdad, was a, a construction worker, a builder, and he did that work. And then later he would suffer. He would be abandoned by his friends. He would be slandered, lied about, beaten till he died on a cross 
for you, for me. He's a Jesus, no, I'm sorry, Jesus is a Derek freak. Not that I'm his God, not that he's, but he loves me so much he did that so that he would reveal to me that he's my God and he's all I need. He's a freak about you. He loves you so much. Then why would we be apathetic about it, right? Oh, I'm saved. Jesus died, took the sins of the world and, and rose from the dead, but meh. I don't really have a lot of time for him. Eh, not a, not a, I'm not gonna be generous with my time or my talents or my treasure. Not a big deal. That feels wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> that, that just doesn't feel right. That's this warning. Do not be apathetic. Now, why is this such a big deal? Now we're going to the basketball in the head part. Look at verse two. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Again, he's writing to Jews. What's he talking about? Chapter 1 was all about these angels and the message the angels gave to Moses, right? Which was the first covenant, the law. The Mosaic law, you know, you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you kind of see all this stuff, right? And he's referring to that. That was reliable. By the way, the New Testament has a very high view of the Old Testament, very high view, meaning it was the word of God. It still is the word of God, but we need to apply it correctly. So this message from angels was, was good. The message from God's son is better. That's, that's the whole point of, of chapter one, right? So we need to listen to Jesus's message it's better than the old one. But the old one came with warnings, right? If you do this, this happens. Just retribution. We could call that, that punishment, right? You do this, you need to sacrifice this. You do this, this is gonna happen to you. The new one has the same. How will we escape if we neglect Jesus's message of salvation? How will we escape? Meaning there is still just retribution. There is such a thing as hell. And, and who's he warning? Uh, th- this one is, it's kind of tough um, because he's saying here there's just retribution. And of course, as a, as a preacher, I want to tell you exactly what that is. But the writer doesn't. That's really hard, <laughs> right? I could stretch, and, but the writer doesn't tell us what that just retribution is because I think there's two real options and I think both can be in view here. So I'll share both because I think they're both accurate. The first is the person who claims to be a Christian but isn't truly a Christian. The person who even is part of a, a community. They might come to church. They, they, look, they might even think they are, but they're not. That's this person. That's the first one, this warning. Matthew 7, 21 and 23, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. I told you, this is a scary warning, right? Some claim the name of Christian and even are involved in a church but never truly believed. Jesus was never truly Lord of their life, right? They were using God to serve their purposes, attempting to, rather than them surrendering their life to Christ. 1 John 2.19 says it this way. They went out from us, but they were not of us, For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. His whole thing was to a group of believers who had friends and family members who were part of the church and went away. And he's like, hey, 
They went away to show they were never of us. They were never truly saved, meaning go get them back, <laughs> right? They need to be saved. They need to know Christ. That's the point, not, oh, now you're out of our lives. That's not it at all. But those that drifted away, this drift away and they find themselves over here, the conclusion often is they never belong to Christ. That's a little bit scary because our American Christianity has often taught, oh, if somebody prays this prayer of salvation when they're seven, they're safe. That's not what the Bible teaches, not at all. There's a warning here. It's not about just one proclamation. It's about a life given over to Christ. And so for some, they never belong. And here's, here's the, the, the warning and the danger. In Revelation 20, 15, it's articulated very clearly, right? And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's one verse. There's many other. Hell is real. Hell is, eternal punishment for sin is real. We can avoid it because Christ took it on the cross. But for those who reject Jesus, universalism is not true. There are not many roads to heaven. If you're typically a good, or you're genuine in your false belief, hell is the destination. The result of rejecting Jesus and his message is eternal judgment apart from God in hell. I'm telling you, this is the, the, the part of the coin we don't like to talk about much. It's the warning. Judgment is real, and it is eternal, right? The parable of the soils, uh, Jesus tells this parable that, that puts it well, right? There's four, four soils, and the gospel, the good news, the message goes out, and the first is hard soil, and they just reject it, right? The second one, ooh, it sounds good. I like it, um, but they're, they're shallow. They have shallow soil, and, and so, you know, when life happens, it, when life gets they fall away, and that parable is meaning they never were truly saved. They're never part of it, or then there's the one in the rocks, I'm sorry, the, the one in the, the rocks is the shallow soil. Then there's the one with the weeds. And I think this is for a lot of Americans today, right? They, they oh, it sounds good. I, I say I believe it, but they're choked out by the busyness of life. They're choked out by a desire for wealth, material, all these things choke it out and it's unfruitful, meaning it doesn't exist at all. There's only one. It's the good soil who hears, believes, and responds in obedience. Again, this is a harsh, scary warning. Now, there's a second group this can refer to, which also exists. This would be the nominal Christian, the, tr the person who truly is saved, but then they don't do anything with it. They don't grow. They don't learn. This person can exist, but guess what? The Bible makes very clear they're very rare. Uh, I, our American Christianity, and at least me growing up, the idea was like, there's a lot of these around, right? So you can, as long as you claim to be a Christian, you are, and you don't really have to live it, but there's a second level no, this person should be, it's like a mountain lion around here. Ever seen one? They're here. <laughs> they're very rare, right? This person is very rare, but they exist, and there is a warning to that person because the loss for this person is of rewards, right? Not hell. If you, if you have truly given your life to Jesus, you believe he died on the cross, rose from the dead, you said, you are Lord of my life, you are saved, justified because of him, not because of your works, but there are eternal rewards. And in fact, the book of Hebrews talks a lot about this idea. There are eternal rewards, and we can lose them. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. I failed to put it on screen, so just listen. Or write it in your notes, too. That's even better. You can look this up later. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Paul writes, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We're not given a lot of details on what this is going to be, but the truth is clear, right? There is eternal salvation, um, but I think Ben said it a couple weeks ago, but uh, heaven needs janitors too, or something like that, right? There are rewards in heaven, and there, there is a sense of loss. What, what's that sense of loss? A, a loss of these rewards or getting there, oh man, I, I did nothing. I missed all these opportunities. So here is a warning to the believer that there are, there are earthly and eternal consequences when the true believer drifts from God. There are earthly and eternal consequences. Now I'm gonna share one story. I, there's unfortunately plenty that I could, but one, a godly man, a, a guy who loved the Lord, uh, a father of five, five kids. Um, and Callie knew him way better than I did. And, and through this whole, she's like, no, he's a believer. No, I, I knew him. He, he genuinely showed the fruit of this. This guy loved the Lord. Well, he was wounded by his church. W whatever it was, um, he, his church did him wrong, right? Fellow believers did him wrong. So he, he drifted away from fellowship. Um, he drifted away from God, walking down the street, went into a palm reader. Like, oh, I'm just gonna check this out, right? That sounds simple. Like, what's the big deal? Palm, that stuff's demonic, right? So, so he goes in there. Um, at, eventually, at some point of maybe going back, they, they offered him drugs. Got addicted to meth. Abandoned his family. Contracted AIDS, right? And through this whole thing, Callie's like, I still believe he's a believer. And guess what? Later, he did come back. Ten years later, <laughs> right? Ten years later, but he missed ten years of his kids' lives. Ten years, right? These young ones didn't even really know him, right? But his wife was awesome. <laughs> she didn't divorce him through this whole, they were separated, but, but she held on. He eventually came back. He repented. He got clean. Two years later, he died. These consequences are real, and that's, that's a harsh example, but it's true of a slight drift that eventually you're so far from God, but, but he belonged to God, and God loved him so much, he, he brought him back, right? But the consequences are still there. Right? God, God lets those consequences happen. So that's a simple warning. Again, I can tell you other ones uh, of Christians on, on drugs, uh, people dying, kids becoming orphans. I mean, I could go down these lists because it's true. And so this warning for the believer is also significant. This abundant life that Jesus said, I want for you, we have to participate in. We have to lean in to that. So what do we do? Right? Here's the good news. Jesus' message of salvation is reliable and we can trust it. That's what he, he goes on in these verses before, right? Um, verse two, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, it was reliable. And then he goes on in verse three, says, now this salvation was declared first by the Lord, right? Jesus gave the message. And then uh, it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. His point here is the message is reliable. Right, Jesus gave the message, and his first message was repent, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. That was his first message, re repent. Turn back to God. 
His message was reliable. Uh, the miracles proved it. That's what he's saying here. Why did God allow all these miracles around Jesus and the apostles? To point that this message is true and reliable. Now, whoever's writing this looks like is a second generation believer. They didn't witness those miracles. They heard about all of that from the apostles, from the first generation. And so then God continues to attest through spiritual gifts given to his people, right? To a point to him, meaning the message is reliable. So what do we do? Understanding the message is reliable. What does he tell us here? How can we avoid the rip current, right? How do we break the grip of the rip in our lives? If we see ourselves in it or we're warning, what do we do? Look at verse one. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Boom, there it is. That's the answer. What do we do? We pay closer attention to what we have heard. We avoid spiritual drift by listening to God's word, working to understand and obey. That's what this is talking about. Uh, pay much closer. It, it means you hear, but you hear with your heart. Right, you listen with a desire to believe and a desire to obey. Great example or a great illustration, 2 Timothy. I'm just gonna read a couple verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That tells us scripture. And by the way, it, scripture refers to all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament is verified as scripture, meaning it is good for showing you how to live. It's good to show you when you're not right. It's good to show you how to get right. And it's good for showing you how to be right, right? So, so how, what do we boil this down to? Pay more cl close attention to what the message is right here in God's word. Pay close attention. How can you pay close attention to something you don't know? Meaning we spend time in God's word. Like a meal, we eat it. We come here, right? We, we wrestle with it from, from a sermon. We get in groups and we talk about it. That's how we do it. Now, if this is your only time in God's word, it's like eating once a week. You're not gonna be very healthy if you eat once a week, right? We need to eat daily, consume God's word. So we avoid spiritual drift by listening to God's word, working to understand and obey. And I, I included that working because I think that's part of it. Right? Again, we're talking about the sanctification aspect of salvation here. We read, and sometimes we don't understand what we're reading. And it takes a little work. Right? A good commentary is great. Uh, we have the, uh, the, new li or no, the, uh, the ESV study Bibles out there. They're awesome. Really good notes in there. Some of you in group have that, and you cheat. Right? And you say something super deep and profound. Well, I think, do to do Because it was, right? You know? That's really good. Right? It helps us. It's the work of, of understanding God's word. So we avoid the spiritual drift by going to God's word. Now, I wanted to, we're wrapping up here, but I wanted to point out this other aspect. We live in a very therapeutic world right now, right? Um, uh, and some of us in here are, are therapists, counselors. We live in a world that says, go to counseling, go to right therapy. That's not all bad if you do it rightly. If you're going to a non-Christian, unbiblical therapist, you're doing yourself a disservice because here's what therapy will tell you. Therapy will tell you, you're a victim and you're broken, right? right? Like something has happened and so we're gonna diagnose you with something. So you're stuck. You're, you're a victim and you're stuck. You're diagnosed and the problem is outside and the solution is in you. That's what therapy will try and teach you. The gospel is different. The gospel says the problem is in you. It's sin, 
right? It's our temptation. The problem is in you, and the solution is outside of you. You can't look into yourself to find the solution. The solution is outside of you, and it's Jesus Christ. That, and, and I mean, that sounds simple and basic, but it's true. And there's layers and layers of that, which is why we need to be in community and in the word. But the solution is not in you. It's outside of you, which is humility, right? The, the therapeutic world says it's about you, it's, uh, right? So now there's pride. It's about me. The solution, really, as we look at it, it's not about you, meaning I bow the knee to somebody, the one true loving God, and he's going to take care of those things in me. And so this is a quote that I came along on this idea of, of the way our world, again, this is part of the drift, that's why I use this, part of the, the drift is to pull toward this way of thinking. Listen to this. For the autonomous self, the premier question is not, what do I owe to God or his community? But what can this God and community do to help me in my pursuit of self-actualization? I've seen this. Plenty of people come to God for what he can give them, right? I have my goals in life. God, how can you help me achieve the, achieve the things I want? That's not salvation. Salvation is we come to Jesus, we bow the knee, we say, I'm going to let you change my goals. I'm going to let you change my desires. I'm going to let you change my ambitions. And then guess what? He does, and then he fills them, and there's the abundant life. We get exactly what we want because he changes our wants to align with him. It's his plan, Here's the message of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus is more. Whatever it is, Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus is more. Don't drift. If you find yourself in that rip current, guess what? Nobody's too far gone. It's okay. Right? right? If you're, you got pulled way out, we can send the, the patrol out with a boat and pull you back. That's why we need to be in community. And, and God's, nobody's too far gone. So don't hear that message. This is a message of hope. If you're like, I, I'm in the rip, or I've never even been part of the kingdom. Today is the day of salvation. What do you do? Next steps. One, pay attention to God's word by starting a daily devotional. How about that? Simple. Eat, right, a daily devotional. There's, there's the Bible app. There's some in there. We have some great ones out there for sale. A daily, just daily time in God's word. Begin there. Or two, lean into Jesus by commit, committing to his Community, meaning join a group. You know, when you are known, often others are going to see your drift first. And lovingly, they'll point it out, meaning it's best to be in community. And if you've been outside of community and you've drifted, and, and I've seen this plenty of times, right? People who, they've been wounded by church because Christians can, mm, what's the word? Christians can be a bummer. Um, <laughs> um, and people can get wounded. And so they step out of community and drift four years later They've been out of community for four years. And then they get back in and realize, this is what I've been missing, right? God has a plan for his community. And so there, that's, that's number two. But for you, has the Holy Spirit revealed something to you in this time? We're gonna continue to worship. And as we do, let the Holy Spirit show you if you're drifting, right? Or maybe you're not there at all and let the Holy Spirit show you that. I'm gonna be in the back, right? I'd love to pray with you for whatever it is. Maybe you said, I need to surrender to Jesus today. I'd love to talk to you. Or I've been drifting and I'm not sure where to go. Come talk to me. I would love to pray with you. But Jesus is better. Jesus is more. Jesus is greater. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we love you. You, you are the best. <laughs> you you want to give us a great life, um, but it's one that you have defined and laid out. Um, and it's best for us. God, I thank you for these warnings. Sometimes the warnings are difficult, and this is one of those. Um, but I thank you, and, and I hope that we hear it with, with your grace, uh, with your mercy, with your love, with the call to, to know, come, don't stay there, but turn, come. 
Jesus, you say, come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden. You have your arms open. Nobody's too far gone. God, we love you. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to stir our hearts now. Fill us with your joy and your hope. And if there's anybody that needs to take a step today, Holy Spirit, give them the strength to take that step. In Jesus' name, amen.